Hi, everyone. Thanks for um, listening, coming back. Um, this is my, uh, this is episode six of uh, my podcast. And uh, actually got, got it wrong in the last episode. I thought I'd only done four, but I've actually done five. So, um, yeah, this is actually episode six. Yeah, yeah. So the previous one was about the flam. Um, and this one is going to be, as you can see from the title, is about uh, time, um, metronome, practicing with a metronome, some different ways to maybe think about practicing with a metronome, talk about some of the things that I've learned over the last few years with a metronome. I'm also going to talk about this device that I own called a drumometer, um, which was invented by a guy called Boo McPhee. He was an American uh, inventor, um, nice guy. And uh, he um, he sells the drumometer. I think I'm not sure if there's um, if there's anything kind of any updated versions. I've got this Model Two. Uh, these I used to have a Model One. I bought sort of Model One second hand. It was okay, and the Model Two is much better because it, it has a metronome built into it. And um, and so it can kind of tie together some of the metronome exercises with the drumometer exercises because the drumometer um, is normally kind of connected to uh, it's more about this kind of fast playing very fast, uh, playing lots of beats in a certain amount of time. Um, Whereas well, actually, it's a very useful tool for practicing your time, uh, which I'll talk about during this anyway. We've got some uh, different topics. Um, but yeah, so that was that was what I decided today. And it kind of follows on from the previous podcast, really, because it, it, when we, I was talking about the flam last week, uh, I got into talking about some exercises with the flam, which were about where you sort of placed the grace note and where you placed the accented note that the flam is created by. You know, two strokes of grace note and a uh, an accented note. And uh, I was talking about putting the grace note on the beat or preceding the beat. And it sort of felt like a natural progression for this uh, this week's kind of topic to talk a little bit about um, practicing time and about sort of time awareness and different things. Um, so, yeah, I was just going to do a little bit of housekeeping um which was just to say i've had some uh really nice comments from people surprised to be honest with that anybody's listening to this which so it's brilliant it's kind of in enthused me to make a commitment to do a weekly uh podcast there's like hundreds of things to i can sit and talk about to do with drums um and uh, so it's kind of great. It's a nice way to archive some ideas and uh, share some ideas with people. Um, as I've mentioned a couple of times, if you want to contact me um, about any of the subjects in any of the podcasts, you can just find me on Instagram, drummy underscore Dave, and it's drummy, D-R-U-M-M-I-E, so drummy. Most of my email addresses personal, so it's drummy D drummy or drummy or drummy d drummy dave um so yeah drummy dave with the underscore is my instagram contact my email address is drummy d at gmail.com you can get me very easily on that <coughs> um and 
Yeah, they're the best two ways to get me. Facebook and stuff, I, I do in, I sort of engage with that a little bit. But as I've said previously, I tend to stay, I try and stay away from the Facebook and the Twitter thing. Uh, I uh, don't enjoy those mediums so much. Uh, Instagram is great and um, put all my stuff out through Instagram, really. I, and I do do a bit of cross-posting with Facebook because they're kind of tied together and it's easy, but I don't really tend to post stuff on Facebook first or use the Facebook Messenger system very much. So, yeah, Instagram's the best place to get me, or just an email. So that's great. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm kind of thinking about um, some sponsory kind of collaboration things with uh, maybe some uh, products or shops that I I uh, like, and that might come soon. That's not going to sort of um, ruin the vibe of the podcast too much. Maybe just maybe there may be a mention at the beginning or the end. Um, it seems to be. I listen to a lot of podcasts now. Uh, and a lot of my friends do and we, we talk a lot about kind of where we listen to podcasts and for me because I spend I drive to work every day from one side of the UK to the other it's not very far you know like driving across America or something uh, I drive uh, it's like an hour a day sometimes it's two because the traffic's terrible but that time um, I don't really like listening to music in the car because music doesn't sound great in the car i mean i've got a nice car and i've got a nice sound system um but because of sort of road noise and just the general thing of you know the 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 sound of driving um music tends to be i just tend to find music is uh is not so great uh the only way uh music kind of tends to work is if you listen to it very loud um i think in cars um i had a friend years ago who used to put his earplugs in he had um some uh proper molded earplugs that were sort of minus 15 i think the, the diaphragms and then he was he used to put his earplugs in the car and then just whack up the stereo and then you'd effectively have no background noise and that's quite a cool way to listen to music in the car but i'm not that organized so what i tend to listen to now is podcasts and uh, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to the the people that actually do the podcast tend to do the advertising themselves at the beginning and the end they just tend to sort of talk about a product or something that they endorse or like or whatever and um, you can kind of skip through it it's there's not this kind of weird thing on you know YouTube and things where you can't kind of skip through the clip. So if that happens, you can always skip through that. It, I I don't imagine there'll be any interest anyway. But uh, just in case, or if anybody is interested, drop me a line. Um. So yeah, that's kind of that stuff. Um. So let's get into the sort of today's topic, which is something that has um, you know, I've gone through various periods of my career, if you can call it that. Um, being quite confident about my time feel um, and then being very underconfident about my time feel. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about, about the latter because I think what tends to happen is that, um, is that we generally, a lot of musicians, I feel, don't think about time that much. Um, 
because it's maybe not necessary or they don't feel the need or they you know there's not it's not a kind of it's not something that comes up as a subject or whatever or that they're not playing music that's kind of outside of um of the sort of regular repertoire that they're playing with people because you kind of you tend to get sort of my experience of um of musicians is there's musicians that play you know sort of their own music or music within their own group and i find those musicians tend to be very time solid they tend to be um because they're so aware of uh where the where the time feel comes from which is essentially the melody or the vibe of the music is that they tend to be very, very solid with time. And so, you know, the things that those sort of musicians tend to craft in their in their kind of art of what they do, you know, or practice or whatever you want to think of it. Some people think of practice, some people think of crafting, you know, whatever. Um, is the writing or, the, you know, the songwriting or the kind of sculpting of the music. Um, and then you get musicians um, who are a bit more like me who play with lots of different people and play in lots of situations where the music can be often at lots of different tempos, the same, even the same piece of music, even on, on uh, I can play with the same band, do a whole run of gigs. And, um, and the music can be different every night, the tempo of the music. And, uh, and that can be quite challenging because, uh, I generally feel like there's a great Steve Gadd quote um, where he says that, you know, every song has a tempo that's comfortable, you know, for the music, um, so for the melody or for, for the vibe of the music, you know. And, and it's very true that, you know, you sort of, as tunes come to, as come to mind, they always seem to be at a certain tempo for me because of the way the melody scans, you know. Um, but that doesn't mean to say that, that tunes can't be played at other tempos and that other people are feeling time or tempo to connect it to melody in a different way than you are and the trick is to be able to come together and make that work you know is um is is playing together in, in a group situation where that where the time uh, the tempos and time feel of things is is expected to be very flexible <clears throat> So, uh, in that in that kind of situation, I did I did thousands of gigs for for over years and years and years that were more like that than the uh, than the other types of gigs where I was playing kind of set tempos. And uh, the thing that I noticed about maybe nine, eight or nine years ago. Um, because basically, about eight or nine years ago, I started working with with an artist who um, who uh, amazing songwriter and did quite a lot of playing and touring you know, with the same band. You know, playing the same tunes every night and kind of doing that thing of uh, sculpting the music and and delivering songs um, and thinking about the kind of role of what I was doing in a different way than than I had been previous to that. Um, Especially when you're doing when you're doing like a long tour, you're doing twenty or thirty or forty gigs over you know quite a short period of time, and you're playing every night to a kind of expectant audience, you know. 
and uh, I listened after the, after uh, quite a long tour we did. It was about nine years ago. I listened to quite a lot of those clips of the band, and I was kind of horrified by my um, my kind of time awareness and my my awareness of what was going on within the within the sort of tempos of, of the music at certain points um now i'm not taking you know full responsibility but there's that thing of you know there's an expectation i think that you know drums can be very dominant in um in the time or the tempo of the music you know it's it's drums can be very dominant in stopping somebody else pushing the music or you know or or dragging the music but also a lack of focus on the drums can really mean that you are pushing the music uh along and uh being really quite disruptive to um I use this quote from a great British jazz drummer called Tony Mann. Uh, I, he, I used to work alongside Tony. I've known Tony a long time. I used to, when I was a kid, I used to go to his shop, and he was, I was a bit, you know, I was, he was a bit of a hero of mine. He was he's one of the sort of great British jazz drummers, proper sort of bebop drummer, and and um, he also used to run a drum shop in Manchester. And uh, and then I, when I started working uh, in Leeds in two thousand and six. Tony was one of the drum teachers and uh, I used to get to sit with him at lunch and chat about all kinds of things and um and when when I was doing marking with Tony we used to listen to students and and you know when they did performances and stuff Tony used to have this expression he'd say good meter you know good meter when when a student you know set a tempo and kept that tempo really you know steady and solid and and kept true to it and I really like the thought of that because it's about length of time, isn't it? You know, something, if you set something at one, two, three, four, one, that tempo means that a melody will last a certain amount of time in existence, you know, because obviously time is always moving forward. Time is, you know, it's the thing that we are, we are within. And this brings me to sort of, uh, I've got a really nice book that I used to use a lot in teaching and I've, and I've also used in my own personal practice. And it was a book that I bought, again, around this period of like, of late, well, early 2000, sort of 2010, 11. Um, because of this issue with, um, with what I thought about my time awareness, you know, um, maybe about a little bit longer than that. I'd, I'd been thinking about time for other reasons. So I'll go into that in a minute, but, but, uh, it's a book by Peter Erskine, and it's called uh, "Time Awareness for All Musicians." So, it's a, it's a funny book in a way because it's probably a book that's not known to a lot of other musicians than drummers, because obviously Peter Erskine is uh, a drummer, and uh, I've long been a fan of Erskine's drumming. I, he's one of my favourite drummers. Uh, I listened to him for since I was you know twelve, thirteen years old. Um, and uh, he's written a few books and he made some videos and stuff and I was very, very kind of into Erskine's kind of message and things for years and then this, this I saw this book had come out and um, I bought the book and it's a great book and in the, in the sort of forward, in the introduction, I mean, sorry, of the book um, there's a, there's a, there's, he talks about this thing of, of, um, of time 
being, you know, we can be very nostalgic or uh, kind of, you know, um, like time is amazing. We're kind of riding along on the crest of a wave of time or whatever. And yeah, let's just enjoy the ride. And he's like, no, that's not the vibe. If you're a musician and you're serious about developing your, you know, your playing and your ability to connect with other musicians and be focused and aware of what's going on in the music, then you need to have much more of a understanding and awareness of time, you know, and practice that thing. And uh, what I realised when I kind of got into this book was that really I'd never done that properly, you know. I was actually not great at playing with a metronome or a click track. Um, and I was also not really ever thinking about kind of um, the metronome in an interesting way or even in a polyrhythmic way. I was very much kind of a slave to trying to play with the metronome. And uh, so a lot of kind of things developed for me um, kind of, I don't know, between the sort of mid-2005, 2006 and, um, and last year in relation to trying to find interesting ways to practice time with a metronome um, and, you know, trying to be more and more kind of inventive with it and, and have it so that basically... The, the thing about practicing with a metronome is you've got to get to the point where you feel that you're owning the time and that you're not a slave to the metronome. The metronome is a tool that's, that's supporting what you're doing. You're not playing along and trying to play with the metronome. It should be something that's that's kind of within, I sort of, sort of think of it, within the groove of what you're doing. So, yeah, it's kind of been an interesting journey. So I recommend that book. Time awareness for all musicians, for any anybody that's listening, um, probably mainly be drummers, I would have thought, that are listening to this, but it might not be. Um, and there's some really good exercises in that book. And there's a couple that I used to use a lot when I was teaching, and still do, actually. I, I In fact, I was doing this exercise with somebody only uh, a couple of months ago. Um, and uh, it's about when you... It's about recording yourself playing... Um, time a, a groove of some kind you know like a like a you know like a sort of um, whatever or ding, 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 ding. you know some some sort of feel um and playing along to the metronome while you're recording and then turning the metronome off and playing for two minutes and uh, having two different approaches. One is is doing it by just doing it, um, like just just pick a tempo, put the metronome on, start recording yourself. You know, using your phone or something. It doesn't need to be any sort of high quality device. It just needs to be a reference point. Um, turn the metronome off while you're recording, and then just keep playing for maybe a minute or two, and then go back and have a listen to what happens with the time. Do I rush? Do I drag? Does it hold the time pretty steady? Um, and then then go back and do that same exercise again. But when, when you start playing the time, is sing out loud the subdivision of the groove. So it's semi-quavers, one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and, or triplet, 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 or swing thing or something, one, two, three, decade whatever it is and 
maintain singing that for the whole time that you record yourself and see if it imp if it improves your uh, time consistency because the idea is if you're verbalizing as well as playing anything it should um give you more of a time awareness um than you are than you are by just kind of playing a feel through the sticks and not particularly thinking about the, the the lowest common denominator or the subdivision of that groove you know if you're playing like a funk groove that's kind of like you know one you know so i'd be thinking about Takadimi, takadimi, or digga, 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 or one, two, three, four, one, whatever, you know. However you want to subdivide, everyone has different ways. But fundamentally within that, the lowest common denominator is the 16th note or the semiquaver. If I'm playing a swing thing, it's going to be most likely the triplet quaver. So it's singing those things. And when you're, um, you know, when you're recording yourself, the idea is that by verbalizing it is that you're getting a kind of better handle or a better hold on the subdivision. And it should make your time more consistent. Um, now, I think that there's quite a lot of people that do that naturally, you know, because they sort of sing, they're kind of singing the part that they're playing. Um, so sometimes it's good to just to practice instead of singing the part is just singing the subdivision like it's separate than the part that's within the part um so that's a that's a really good exercise that i practiced uh and then another one was just uh thinking about on and off beat syncopated phrases there's some nice um references in the book about where when we play maybe a pickup phrase that's on a one and or a four and is that is not to rush the the following crotchet or you know quarter note phrases that follow that so if you've got a thing that's in swing time and it goes one two three four and two three four one and two and three four and two etc like i know my tendency is to rush uh and the thing that i rush mainly um is my bass drum i rush the right foot more than any of the other, any of the other three limbs you know um generally it's because my bass drum playing i would consider as being a, a weaker link within my kind of drumming so what tends to happen with the bass drum is if i'm not really 100 percent focused i tend to rush uh, I tend to sort of arrive early it's, it's very rarely late it's <laughs> I'm always a rusher, um, definitely not a dragger, uh, pretty much. You know, it's rare that I would ever be sort of dragging. It's it's always, yeah, a pushy thing. And sometimes it's emotional and sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's the, it's the right foot that's pushing. So, yeah, that, so there, there's a couple of interesting exercises. I don't want to go into it too much in this because obviously you can get the book or, you know, check out the book yourself and have a read of it it's a really really good book though i'd really recommend it and it's not for drummers it's for all musicians and the collective message which sort of connects to all the things that we've been talking about so far is about collective time awareness 
you know. And uh, and the thing is that every member of a group should really be feeling the same subdivision, you know. And so what I realised when I was listening back to myself from um, from this tour and there was lots of different lots of video clips of different gigs at different points in the tour and i realized that you know i was getting a bit lazy i was uh i'd lost uh a little bit of focus on um on the fundamental so i don't think the energy was lazy or the the thing of being there in the music was lazy but if you think about the role of what you do as a drummer um if you're hired to do a job of work, then there's a kind of, you know, there's an expectation um, with that that will be an agreement between you and whoever you're playing for, you know. If you're in a band and it's just like an equal thing, then it's a very different dynamic, you know. I still think that in those situations, time and time again, I see uh, th- people get to a point where these things do become issues, you know. Um, they kind of manifest themselves in different ways, but they, they do get to the point where people start to fall out because fundamentally a bass player doesn't feel like a drummer's playing in the same pocket as them, you know, even if they're, you know, playing a band, writing original music together and playing gigs every night, playing the same music and the same gigs, et cetera, et cetera. They can still end up being uh, the thing where a point of tension arises where, you know, a, mem- a member of the rhythm section generally, and it's normally this relationship between bass and drums, you know, um, <clears throat> where the bass player or the drummer feels like the other isn't quite as on, you know, as on the money as they should be. And uh, that can be, you know, a big thing of tension. And, and, it, and again, it can normally be resolved by a conversation. And it can be a conversation of like, well, you know, well, what, how are you feeling the beat or where are you feeling the beat uh, on the, in this music? And even that conversation can change everything, you know. And uh, I've been very lucky to work with some very, very good bass players in my, and still do. Uh, and I would say all of those players have been generous to me at points with my uh, time. You know, they, they, they're not militant and kind of really, really sort of oh, it's, it's got to be absolutely perfect time and perfect tempo and perfect meter and all that stuff. You know, they're flexible people, which is probably why I ended up playing with them and maybe why I don't play so much with with, with players that are a little bit more um, focused on the sort of metronomic side of things, you know. But that doesn't mean to say that I'm not still trying to improve my time and become more more solid because i just think that the 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 better you are from a fundamental of having good time and having a good sound i think that those two things are really the most important parts of of anybody's playing you know because it's that thing of like people will want to play with you and they'll want to listen to you so if you've got good time and you've got good sound then you know i i think that you're on to a bit of a winner the rest of it um depending on the music you're playing can be viewed as a bonus almost really uh, depends what your aspirations are but you know my aspirations were 
were very different. And I, my order of priorities when I was younger was definitely not those things. I, I always, the sound thing was always very important to me. I, I always think I've had a nice, I think I've always had a nice sound. I think naturally I've had a nice sound. Um, but I don't think my time playing has been great. Um, has always been great. And I, I went through, there was a period I went through uh, quite a number of years ago um, where I was playing in a, reg, in a couple of regular groups and um one of them i was i was finding uh it quite challenging on in the, in relation to the time um and uh i became very time aware for the wrong reasons and so this is this is one of the things where i wanted to sort of get on to sort of talk about some more practical things and not just talking about it all from a kind of philosophical or like a kind of academic side of things. It's actually practical things that you can do. Because if you're, if you become, like I became kind of time paranoid, to be honest with you, that, that's the way I feel about it. I feel, I feel like I, I got to a situation where my time was a lot better than I thought it was. And the problem there is the word thought. You know, there was a, there was, there was a thinking thing going on. There was a, there was a paranoia. And some of it was to do with um, focusing on the wrong thing and and also forgetting about focusing. <laughs> so it's like a kind of double-edged thing. Um, and so I, I sort of set out quite a number of years ago to really sort of sort that out in a way and have a better handle on um, on my sort of time, time feel, you know. Uh, and I definitely feel between like 2011 and uh, and then kind of 2012 and then it was 2015, 16, I really feel like I made uh, a big stride with my own development within my time playing. Um, and because of what I learned in that period, and I'll talk a bit about that now, uh, because of what I learned in that period, it, it, I know now when I'm not playing well, my time's not great because, again, you know, these, it's about focus for me. My, the, the thing, the conclusion I've come to for myself, when you're playing lots of different sorts of music or you're playing a lot of, uh, of say, jazz music or you're playing a lot of different styles on the gig and you're playing maybe lots of different gigs with lots of different people and you're playing maybe similar repertoire, but one night, you know, uh, a tune is at, um, you know, this kind of tempo or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And then the next night somebody counts it in and you're like, okay, you've not, you know, it's very easy to be gravitating back towards that because the night before you were playing that tune at that speed, you know. So the thing that I started to work on was um, was when people set a tempo, I would start to sing subdivision. And uh, that really helped me focus on the actual tempo that was being set and not kind of bringing in yesterday's tempo or, you know, last week's tempo or whatever. And, uh, and, and when that's happening, when, I, when I'm not, you know, focusing so well even these days, that's, again, that's what's happening. I, I'm bringing in the comfortable tempo. Everyone has tempos that they like to play at, you know. Um, 
I've listened to a couple of drummers in my life, people that I've known who kind of only play at one tempo. <laughs> they seem to really gravitate. They, everything starts off at whatever, but it, it goes to a tempo, you know. And um, and things like bossa novas, you know. Um, I have this thing where I have a real problem sometimes with bossing overs because I have a, a kind of tempo that I always gravitate towards because it's the tempo that I kind of like bossing overs at. And so if somebody goes one, two, one, two, three, go. Mm -hmm. I have to be really, uh, I have to keep a real handle on on that tempo that's set because I can easily just start to creep up. Easy, easy, easy. Certain swing tunes have that thing for me as well. Ballads is a, is a totally different thing. Ballads, I'm always, I'm a lot better at playing ballads these days than I used to be. I really do try and keep actually quite strict tempo with ballads. Um like rock and funk, I tend to have. Uh, it tends to be rock. I tend to be a bit more solid with, uh, and 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 funk. Yeah, I'm always trying to not rush. You know, not trying to get arrive at the downbeat. Is that sort of James Brown thing of like boom hitting the one? boom. It's very easy to just boom. You know, be like really early because of the physicality thing there's a great uh, video i would encourage any anybody who's listened to this to watch actually any drummer or any musician or whatever yogi horton the history of r&b drumming and it, and it is on youtube now it um it's brilliant brilliant and he talks about this physicality thing about about arriving at the, at the symbol um in the right in the right body movement so that you don't get on top of the time. And he demonstrates it on the video. It's very funny, but it's really true. You know, it's that thing of like where you want to end up on the instrument. Uh, and it can really affect the time feel. Uh, and, it, and, and in sort of funk music and stuff like that, it's very easy. I always find it very easy to sort of get on top of the time. And uh, when you listen to like Clyde Stubberfield or those players that play with James Brown, you know, you really hear that sort of, the way in which start phrases, you know, it's really like, or listen to someone like Dennis Chambers or somebody who played, you know, P-Funk Parliament, and like, boom, boom, you know, really like landing on the downbeat, starting the phrase the way the rest of the phrase wants to be played, you know. And if it's starting like rushed and early, then the rest of the phrase you know, are all going to feel kind of unsettled. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, having that sort of awareness. And, and in swing, because of my right foot, I end up kind of playing early and a lot of the time if I'm pushing, playing sort of stuff that's like... Um, Playing phrases like that where da 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 
onto the onto the forehand is making sure they don't arrive early you know and, and but um there's some nice things you can do with the metronome so i just want to talk a little bit about i've got my metronome here here it is just want to talk a little bit about kind of the evolution of, of metronome practice that might you know might be interesting to uh, to some of you who maybe are thinking about getting into practicing with a metronome um haven't really practiced with a metronome before um I've maybe played with click tracks in the studio and found uh, found it maybe tough. You know, sometimes that can be the other people that you're playing with. Um, I tend to be quite um, specific about how I mix, have headphone mixes when I'm in the studio with a click um, because there are times where you um, you want to go with what's happening if you're if you're doing like a if you're sort of doing like a a take with guide accompaniment which is quite often happens you know where you you've, you've got other people that are playing their parts but they're not recording their parts but they're playing along with you for fo helping with the form or the vibe or something if you if you sort of up against a bit of a schedule and you, and you want to get like you want to get the um you want to get the take down and have a, have the right architecture and sculpt of the song. A lot of the time, um, people I work with will play along, you know. And the, the trick there is if they're really wanting it on a grid, then you've got to mix the head, you've got to get the headphones mixed right, you know. And, uh, and so I'll always, uh, I'm lucky enough to, a lot of the time when I go in a studio, there's a number, handful of bass players that I play with and, they're always great and so i'll always have a nice nice level on the bass making sure that sort of I've, i can hear where they're placing the beat in relation to the click and then being selective about the rest of what's in there if you've got if you've got a lot of rhythmy like rhythm like acoustic guitar-y or rhythmy guitar-y stuff going on that's jangly jangly or it's semi-quavery 16th notey or whatever that can really uh, interfere sometimes when you're trying to play with a click, you know. Um, but then you want also the right mix in the headphones. If 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 a vibe's happening and uh, and somebody's you know somebody's pushing something on and the click's kind of being like right, we're off grid now, you know. Um, sometimes when I'm recording, that does happen. The, you'll be playing and like suddenly you realise, oh, the, the click's gone and we're still recording. And, and oh yeah, because it's gone it's got an energy you know and it's just about you know you building a track sometimes you might want an outro section that slightly lifts in tempo but you want it all on grid up to that point you know and um it's great you know great these days building comp tracks from from drum takes and bass takes and rhythm section takes you know if, if you've got a certain amount of it on grid then that's you know really helpful for the producer or the artist to, to then sort of comp from that and that means that you've got to have an ability to play with a metronome so or with a click track. So, like, I've got this metronome here, and you can hear I've just turned the metronome on. I've actually sat at the kit today. I've got my... This is my practice kit. It's my... got mesh. I've got mesh heads on it. The floor tom's got the book and the metronome on, so... And I've got this little practice pad next to me as well, which has got the drum 
got the drawmeter um, plugged into it, which I'll talk about in a minute. But let's just talk a little bit about about kind of evolution. Just five minutes about an evolution of metronome exercises that you could work on that might be really helpful for you, and it's certainly been helpful for me. Um, and I got these, this kind of information kind of came from different sources and and, and kind of came uh, in order. So the first thing I would do is, is be practicing with all four beats in the bar. So now I'm just playing feathered bass drum, playing high on two and four, playing swing time on the ride cymbal. This doesn't have to be a jazz thing, by the way. Um, but I'm going to demonstrate triplet music today because it's kind of uh, it's where I, it's what I'm practicing at the moment. You can take this and play it. You can you can play semiquaver music, whatever you want to do, sixteen music, groove music. So that's like all four beats of the bar playing along with a metronome. That feels to me quite stifling. It feels just like I've got this thing. I'm like I'm. Like I'm sort of a slave to it a little bit, but it's a good starting point. And now one thing I, I am going to do a separate podcast about practicing. But one thing I'll say now about playing with a metronome and playing with the metronome with different sophisticated or more sophisticated settings than this, I'll turn it off for a second, is that when you're learning new things, this playing with a metronome in this way can be very useful for some people. It certainly is for me. I don't practice complicated new coordinational things with polyrhythmic or or interesting metronome settings. I practice them with, with it all four beats of the bar. That's just my preference because I'm dealing with other stuff. Once the coordination's down, I have the ability to coordinate myself then within however I set the metronome up. But... If I can't coordinate an exercise, having a metronome on some crazy setting or some polyrhythmic setting is not going to help me at all. Now, that's not to say that, that you know, that might not work for you. If it works for you, that's absolutely fine. What I'm saying is a lot of people may feel the pressure that it, that it has to work for them. And what I'm saying is don't sweat that. I would just get back to all four beats in the bar. But the next natural evolution of this is to take away beat one and beat two, uh, three. So you just end up with two, four, one, two. And this is quite a common, when you get people who move from playing, um, like you get kids who, who, come, who go through school and they've been playing an instrument and they maybe have a classical or rock background or funk background or whatever, and they get into playing jazz, they will get a jazz teacher now, a lot of the time, the jazz teacher will say, put the metronome on two and four. And you go, okay, and practice everything. So you've got this kind of emphasis on two and four. Now, that can they can work really well. I don't even have a problem with people putting a metronome on one and three. It's, it's I think that's absolutely fine as well. But it might help people to get this kind of uh, this feel of getting away from the music being just all on the downbeat all the time and maybe having an emphasis that's in that's away from the downbeat in the, in the sort of middle of the bar or in the in the middle of the beat or whatever you want to think about it so one two three four one two same exercise feather in the bass drum and there's the metronome on two and four 
Okay, so that's that. You can do this, you can go to two, three, four. So that's now on, well, you can have it, think of it as on one or two or three or four, doesn't make any difference. Four, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And that's a good exercise. Now I'm rushing a little bit because I'm speaking. So try and get back in the pocket. Two, three, So there's going slightly behind. Just make a little adjustment again. And you hear when I start singing the subdivision, things do come together better. I start to get more steady just singing the triplets. So that's great. Now, now you can, uh, and you can do that thing to do two bars, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, click. All those sort of things are useful. And the next thing that we can think about doing is putting the click onto a subdivision of the groove and a common one that a lot of people do in jazz practice. And you can do it in funk as well. Again, just think of the, the, the same thing and put it onto a 16th note. Is to put, is to have the metronome on two and four, but think of it on the two and and the four and. So that's two and four now, okay? Two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Now I'm gonna shift the way I think about it. One, two, three, four. 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 Now I'm playing with something that's kind of more groovy. And I can actually move it around as well. If I drag. Now I'm on a straight quaver. Now if I, if I rush a bit, now I can be... Now if I just relax... Now I'm back to the triplet quaver. Okay? So that's a really useful way of practicing because the downbeats like one and three, or actually all four beats, but particularly the downbeat of the bar, beat one, is 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 mine or yours. And the metronome's in the subdivision. And as I say, if you drag or push, you can move where that subdivision is. You can make it into a quaver, straight eighth note. You can make it into a semi-quaver or sixteenth note, deeper, uh, deeper skip note. The thing is, is about getting into it. It's about singing the subdivision.
etc., etc. So you see, you can sort of goof around with it and change the subdivision, move it, uh, go a bit, uh, push it, drag it, etc., etc. Change the subdivision. But generally, what it sort of makes you do is it makes you really think about subdivision. I, when I was playing, then I'm really thinking about how I'm subdividing and making sure that I'm um, staying within the pocket of what I've created. You know. Um, in relation to the metronome then the next thing that you might want to do is got to change the metronome settings here this is a completely different way of practicing now um, but again it's it's linked to the same thing and I, i'll think about it in triplet i think about it in triplet music again in swing music but you can you can do the same thing in semiquavers as well um so i've i've changed the metronome setting now i put it into three four time so we end up with this two three and the tempo is gone from uh well it was nine well it was 92 now it's 74. so now i'm thinking of using this as a polyrhythmic pulse to practice in four four time so it might sound like complete gobbledygook to some of you, and some of you might be like, yeah, yeah, of course, that's really, really obvious. Let's just talk about how we find the um, the kind of polyrhythmic subdivision, if you like. So this is in 3-4 time. We've got 1, 2, 3, 1-e-ana, 2-e-ana, 3-e-ana. So we're dividing each beat into semiquavers, 16th notes. Now I'm now I'm dividing the same, sorry, I'm accenting the same division, but in groups of three. And now we hear three against four. Now I'll just comp what the metronome is playing. Now I'm practicing offbeat triplet quavers in the left hand. So I'm playing two uh, quavers on the offbeats of each triplet quaver. One, two, three, four. Now I'm practicing just a middle triplet quaver. So what's happening there is it's much more immediately, it's much more funky, isn't it? I think as soon as you get into the pocket of it, and you start practicing. So what I was doing there was there's a sort of independence chart that you can practice. It's uh, a thing a lot of people do when they get into jazz. They do this kind of left-hand coordination sheet, and it's doing um, the left-hand plays all the different possible kind of quaver triplet groupings. Um, and I was just practicing. There's a couple of them there. I was playing uh, the offbeat one, two, three, four, one, two, three, two. I'm feathering the bass drum and I'm playing a high on two and four. I'm playing swing time on the ride cymbal with the drop skip kind of technique. And then the next one I was doing was just... Dun, 
doing the middle triplet quaver. Then the metronome on the second one lands on the middle triplet quaver. And then the third metronome one lands on the swing beat of beat three. So if I play, if I play the left hand on all the swing beats, it lines up. You see there where, like I lose focus, is I start to rush. But as soon as I realise I'm rushing, I get back into focus again and get back in time. And the thing that's great about polyrhythmic metronome exercise, as opposed to having the metronome on all four beats, is that I feel that when I when I when I rush and I get out of time, as you heard there when I was talking, and then I get back in time again. It, the, the subtlety of it is much more musical than this thing of, oh, I've got to try and get back in with something that's going one, two, three, four, you know. It's just kind of got nothing to do with music, really. Uh, I mean, you know, Pulse obviously, you know, has everything to do with music, but it's just that thing of the arbitrary thing of a metronome just clicking out beats. Whereas when you've got something that's polyrhythmic and you sort of slightly rush, it really makes you <clears throat> sort of consider the subdivision about pulling yourself, but where where is that supposed to be sitting within the subdivision? And I find that much more satisfying. So it might be something that's really useful for you to practice, thinking about that evolution. All four beats of the bar, two beats of the bar, one and three, or two and four, the, the off beats of the two and the four of the bar, or the one and the three of the bar, and then some kind of polyrhythmic thing. So, um, you know, having a polyrhythm going on underneath or over the top of. Um, and in jazz, it's great to put the metronome on three, four time, find your semiquavers, and then uh, 16th notes, and then accent every third of those. That gives you your triplet quaver of your new tempo. It's a metric thing, metric modulation thing, isn't it? You know, And then practice along. It's much more funky. So that's kind of some metronome stuff. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm aware that uh, I've been going on again. Uh, it's nearly an hour. Anyway, that's okay. Um, I wanted to talk about the drumometer. I don't want to, don't want to talk too much about the drumometer, but it's a tool that I've used for two things. Um, the drumometer is something that I I bought a long, long two thousand. I bought a second hand one in sort of two thousand and. Um, I don't know, 2003 or something. And then I bought this one that I've got now. I bought this back in kind of 2005, 2006 or something. Uh, and I bought, I bought like a kit. You get a practice pad, which is one of those tunable Remo pads, which came with the kit. Um, it came with a lead. It comes with the drumometer little box itself, which is quite funky. It's got a metronome inside it, and then you plug a lead into it, and it's got a sensor on the pad. And basically, when you you hit the pad, the drumometer counts a hit. And um, that might sound like the weirdest thing in the world to some of you, and uh, I can imagine why. Um, but it's a very useful tool. Now, the reason that I actually bought it was because I wanted to learn to play 
finger control rebound technique. I wanted to. I I, I was. I've talked about this in the in the other. There's a drumometer going off. You set it to. I'll, I'll explain how it works in a minute. But um, basically, I as I've said in, in previous uh, podcasts when I was talking about um, rudiments and stuff in the foundations podcast. I am basically a double stroke player. Um, or a multi-bounce, actually, stroke player. Three strokes as well. Mainly doubles. But, you know, I do do stuff with, with triplet strokes as well. And I learned some kind of molar sort of idea. Sort of idea. That thing of, of, um, of playing roles um, using multi-bounce as well as, as doubles. But I, but in, uh, in the sort of, I don't know, 2003, 2004... I um, discovered a drummer on the internet called Art Verdi, uh, who some of you may have heard of, most of you probably haven't. Um, and he was this kind of like amazing, he's one of these like people who've never heard of, but amazing kind of technician. And uh, he's a jazz player. He's very, very into Buddy Rich and uh, that kind of style of playing. And... Uh, I think he was a regal tip. I think he's a regal tip drummer as well. I think he was. Um, I think he used to do Nam and go and do the sit on the regal tip stand and and do some like crazy pad stuff. Uh, um, I don't know. I, I, he'd been unwell a few years ago. I'm not sure if he um, if he'd recovered from that. Um, he'd been quite poorly. I'd read uh, something that his son had written on um, on a website and uh, I contacted him and he, he said his his dad was still very ill. Um, but he was a Art Verdi was a very generous man. I emailed him. I never heard, didn't know anything about him. And I found these videos, and I was like, "This guy's amazing. Who's this? What's he?" Doing? And technically, I didn't understand what he was doing. Um, so I sent him an email, and he replied very quickly within a day. You know, and he wrote me a very nice email. He I had some videos at the time on my website, and he'd gone and checked them out and uh he come back he come back to me he said some nice things about them and um which was great and he basically we were talking about, i was saying look you know what are you doing technically and he basically said well i can see that your kind of your technique is based on this kind of multi-bounce thing maybe like a molar thing or you know one input for multiple bounces and he said, "My the thing that I'm doing in a lot of these videos is this thing, finger control, rebound thing, where you basically, you know, the finger is creating a rebound, like bouncing a ball. You know, you're trying to bounce the stick off the pad and return it back to the pad as quickly as you can. And basically the tool was this drumometer thing is what you use because what the drumometer does, you can say, okay, I want to play for 200 seconds and I want to put the tempo 130 BPM, and I will play X number of hits, you know. And it means you can practice very precise amounts of hits, which is like a weird way of practicing in a way, because what we normally think about on the metronomes, so you've got the metronome and the drum, it's the two different sides of this coin here. You've got the metronome, I'm playing at this tempo. I'm not thinking about how many things I'm, how many times I'm hitting the drums, I'm just playing at this tempo, trying to play in time. The drumometer allows you to play rudiments or patterns, uh, cycle, you know, patterns that are continuous on the pad 
uh, that are in a certain subdivision, you set a certain tempo for a certain amount of time, and you should play a certain amount of hits. Now, an example of this um, is I've got the drumometer here set at 120 BPM. Okay, I'm going to play um, for each for each click of the metronome. I'm going to play six strikes. Okay. So that's uh, 12 every you know, two seconds, isn't it? Because 120 is double time. Um, I've got a metronome set for 10 seconds. So when, when, the, when the drumometer finishes, it goes from 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and it'll bleep when it gets to zero. I should have played 120 hits. Let's do it. Twenty hits. There you go. So you think, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, you can practice uh, that over different amounts of time, and you just do the maths on how many hits it's supposed to be. But over ten seconds is one hundred and twenty hits. The idea then is to go back, is to reset it. The metronome's back on again now. And again, thinking about the time. Is you turn the metronome off? And now I've got to play one hundred and twenty hits in ten seconds. Let's see if I do that. Hundred and eighteen. So I've dragged. Um it's purposely playing a little bit like unsteady there to sort of hear where if you're not playing precisely then you're in a situation where you realise, actually, oh yeah, actually, I'm not playing evenly. Like, slightly more emphasis on the right hand I was just playing a little bit with. But I was also being a little bit hesitant, and therefore, after 10 seconds, I'm playing 118 hits. So again, you go, you go back, put the metronome back on, and then just do another run. Twenty hits exactly because I've got the metronome as a reference point. Now let's just reset, turn the metronome off. Hundred and twenty-one. So I've slightly rushed there, but you can see how you can get into using this as a tool for practicing your time. So. Uh, it was just a, it was just it was a kind of small mention to the drumometer because it's something that I did use um, for practicing this, trying to get this finger control thing down. It was really useful for that. Um, I also use it when I do. I've got this flam um, accent exercises that I, I was talking about in one of the previous podcasts. talking about it in the, the flam podcast last and i think i was probably talking about it in the, one of the foundations anyway i use the drumometer as well because you can put the drumometer at 900 seconds it's 15 minutes and basically i use the number that it comes out with uh, one is if i'm playing the flams uh, to, um, uh, with enough openness as in they're not 
bang together, so it's only counting one hit. Every time I play a flam, it should count two hits. If I do a specific kind of regime over 15 minutes, I should have a certain number of hits, normally about 9,000. Sometimes it's 10,000. If I'm doing quite a lot of... If I'm doing a lot of rolls and then alternating flams, and sometimes I'll do quite a lot of five strokes as well. Sometimes I'll do the three different variations of five stroke as well as all the other combinations. But it's, it's a simple math thing, isn't it? The more doubles that you play or flams that are open enough, the more it's going to count. So you're getting, um, you know, two. And I'm practicing those... Um, those exercises, I think I was saying last time, between 164 and 172 BPM in triplets. So, you know, there's though that's kind of like the um, the main sort of thing behind it. Um, yeah. So the drum, that's the drumometer. It's uh, quite useful as well, though, for practicing. Yeah, just for setting 10 seconds or 20 seconds or 30 seconds at a tempo and playing, trying to play a certain amount of hits, and uh, it can really make you think about you know, uh, how even you're playing um, the uh, the subdivision and how you're playing hand-to-hand -hand and playing, you know, playing doubles and thing, uh, different things as well. Um, so the third part of this equation, I feel like I should mention because um, if we think about music, human beings and invention then one thing that's been kind of omnipresent within music for human beings has been our own sense of time um i'm not talking about the heartbeat thing or anything the heartbeats in time and all that stuff um i'm talking about classical music really and, and the pre-metronome world um, anybody that's into uh, fusion music or um, or bass you know will know Jeff Berlin Jeff Berlin's an amazing bass player American bass player virtuosic bass player um, and a great educator as well but Jeff really um, is one of the one of the few educators that I've ever met, I, I did meet him a couple of times, quite a number of years ago, and he really does have a thing against the metronome. Um, it's not a position I agree with, but I do respect I do respect him. One of the things that I really respect about his view, uh, and this is, is quite a profound thing, really, is that, as I remember him saying in, in a workshop he did uh, for us, he said, you know, when where does the conductor get the tempo from when he when he or she is you know setting up the orchestra to play whatever you know Beethoven's fifth or something you know he's not you know she's not reaching down on the floor and looking at a metronome and going click click okay I've got the tempo off we go one two it's coming from something else isn't it it's coming from somewhere else and um, so I think that we do have it in us as well um, to really develop a sense of trust in our own time feel and be confident about about communicating it. And 
And then you get into that thing of like, um, you know, people going about rushing and dragging. So I have a I have a view on this. I don't think dragging's great. I think dr anything that drags kind of um, slows down the impetus of its existence or meaning. You know, so it makes things kind of like, oh, it's, come on, let's get on with this. Whereas uh, rushing is a different thing altogether. I think rushing is quite a complicated thing. I think that some of the greatest music in the world has ever recorded has rushed, you know. Um, and I don't think that great artists ever worry about rushing in the way that I've wor that I worried endlessly about rushing. Um, so in some respects, you know, I think that maybe we put too much stuff on this thing and actually music just is what it is and uh, it ends up where it ends up, you know. And I certainly think in sort of spiritual and ritualistic music or social music and whatever, it's all irrelevant. I think it's just what it is is what it is and it comes from where it comes from and it exists and it is celebrated in the moment between people. But I think I'm probably speaking to you know, drummers and maybe other musicians that are that are wanting to practice and learn and get better at their craft and want to be kind of flexible and useful in different situations and maybe need to hold on to tempos and want to play with click tracks in a studio, want to teach and be good at teaching and help their students be able to, you know, understand how to practice with a metronome. Um, and so... On that side of it, you know, that's where I'd say that you explore different avenues for yourself, you know. Another great way of uh, of learning and uh, practicing, in, you know, your time is to just play along with records, you know. Uh, it's something that a lot of people don't talk about anymore. But um, I did more of that when I was growing up than anything else. I played a lot with people socially i mean you know in real life i was very lucky i was in situations where i was playing music with people uh, i wasn't on my own in a bedroom just kind of playing along to things but i also played a lot to records and i did a lot of copying you know that was where i learned quite a lot of my vocabulary came from trying to copy certain drummers you know chisinette peter erskine buddy rich all terrible copied them all terribly but you know it was uh it was still something that i was uh, trying to achieve trying to do so you know, again, but just that thing of playing along with records is you're playing along with, you know, stuff that's in time, stuff that's got a time feel. If you're playing along with, like, pop records and things, groove records, a lot of that stuff will definitely be gridded. A lot of it might, some of it might be programmed drums or half-programmed, half-not. Um, but a lot of it will be played with clicks, and it will be, and these days will probably be like, you know, this this yeah, this grid thing with everything on the grid, you know, um, which can be quite challenging to emulate because it's not really natural. Um, but I know for sort of mixing and producing and stuff, it's it's kind of it's part of the skill of of uh, of you know mixing and mastering drums, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, is this sort of thing of of using the grid. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of about it, really. There's loads of other things to talk about in relation to time and time awareness, but the the most the most important things for me that I've learned over the last few years is one is about staying focused. So it's about concentration, about being in the moment, uh, not being in the past or in the in the future, not preempting anything, not 
sort of thinking about what's been. You know, that that tempo things are definitely what's been. Oh, we played this at this tempo last night. And you sort of grab it in you, you're subconscious, you're gravitating towards that tempo. It's about being, when somebody sets a tempo, paying attention to them, really getting a handle on it and focusing, you know. Um, and then, you know, kind of from that, once you're focused, is about uh, making sure that, you know, all the other parts of you, all the other facets of your playing that you, you know, hold dear to yourself, you know, having a nice feel and sound and all that stuff is all kind of has the backdrop of that awareness of the subdivision, awareness of the, the tempo that's set, you know, don't sort of um, negate that thing with with the other stuff like oh now i've got the tempo set now i can just think about playing my paradiddles or whatever or you know getting around the kit or doing some fancy pants thing or whatever and suddenly the time's gone you know so yeah it's, i'd spend time you know we're in, in whatever way you need on the on the kit away from playing with people with you know try and get into interesting ways of playing with the metronome i think you know, i think one of like one of the Jeff Berlin thing, I think, is about having that thing on all four beats of the bar when you're practising. It's just like, it's just, it really is a bit of a killer. It's a soul killer, really, I think. I mean, I mean, generally, you know, you want to try and get away from it. But I still, like I said before, when I'm learning new things, particularly coordination things for me on the drums, um, if I want to, if I want to kind of, once I've got the sort of, the basic coordination of it down, as in I can physically play it, I will want to try and then get it set at a tempo. I will most likely start with all four beats in the bar and then I'll move quickly to the offbeat thing and then the polyrhythm thing, you know. These days it's tended to go from all four beats to polyrhythm because that's just where my head is, really. Um, not always, but but it's more that. And it, and that's a, quite a new thing. It's the last couple of years for me, I, I wasn't practising polyrhythmically before that. Um, I was practising with the metronome on offbeats, which is something that I got into for you know for a number of years maybe for 10 years and it was something i was definitely advocating when i was teaching and it's helped a lot of people that i've taught it's made them think about the metronome it's made the metronome just more interesting um the drum moments is maybe something that's not going to be accessible to a lot of people because it's you gotta buy one you need to own one which is a it's a thing a physical thing you gotta buy so you know and then the thing of playing along with albums and not playing along with metronomes um, and pra yeah, maybe record yourself. Hear where your time is. You know, talk to the musicians that you're playing around, especially bass players. Talk about where they feel the beat. All that stuff's really, really valuable. So, um, nice one. Um, so this is yeah, this is the end of this week. So hopefully, um, I'll be uh, recording. I think foundations. Three is the next episode that's coming, which is a thing about setting a new standard. Uh, again, which kind of links to what we've been talking about today. You know, each one of these new metronome exercises is actually setting a new standard for yourself. You know, you're kind of going, right, I practice with a metronome in that way now when I'm, you know, when I'm actually practicing with a metronome, when I'm doing, when I'm trying to improve a tempo or I'm just wanting to play something and make sure that it's in time you know now now i've learned this thing i want to practice it for 10 minutes and make sure that it's in time then you know that's definitely like that polyrhythmic thing is set a new standard for me so so anyway i'm going to talk about that in the next podcast which will be um 
yeah, next week, hopefully next Friday or Saturday. So um, nice one. And uh, yeah, have a great week. Bye for now.